welcome back. It is the season finale of season one of Basically an Expert. Thanks for listening. If you've listened to this episode or any of the previous ones, it's been super fun and I'm really excited to end it off on a banger. It is another solo episode. I know I said the last solo episode would be the last one for this season, but I got really excited. I really wanted to talk about Cascavy, which is the new FDA-approved CRISPR-Cas drug for sickle cell. Let's get into it. Okay, full disclosure, the way that I'm basically an expert is twofold. One, I am actually a biologist. I studied molecular biology in grad school. I know a bit about, I've actually performed some of these experiments, but those experiments did not go well for me. I'm not very good at them. Definitely not an actual wet lab biologist. Um, those people are very talented and tis not me. Number two, I just read a bunch of the like press releases for the approval of this drug. I didn't actually read any of the papers or anything, but the exciting part of this episode for me is that they are starting to approve CRISPR-Cas9 gene therapies, and I think that's going to open the window for a lot of potential therapeutics for some rare diseases to come. So let's get into it. <laughs> so let's get into it. Okay, first. Just what is sickle cell? Okay, why is this treatment such a big deal? Why is it making headlines? We'll get into the disease first. So sickle cell is a genetic disorder, meaning that it's inherited. It's built into your DNA. So if one cell has a mutation, the other cells that are replicated from that cell will also have that mutation. And sickle cell specifically is a mutation in your red blood cells. So we're not going to get too technical about this because I think that's when podcasts get really boring. But if you know what hemoglobin is on your red blood cell, the hemoglobin is mutated. So your blood cell goes from being like a nice little circular pillow shape almost to like a banana shape. Okay. That's where the sickle name comes from is apparently sickle is like a crescent shape. I don't know, man. Just think of it as a pillow and a banana. Okay, so a pillow is a nice red blood cell. It flows through your body and gives oxygen to all your tissues. Everybody's super happy to see it. It bumps into like the rest of the red blood cells, like little bumper cars, and there's no problem. Everybody's moving and gliding, and we're all happy. The These banana sickle cell guys can get stuck on each other. They can get stuck on each other or anything else in the bloodstream and kind of block a vein or an artery. And then similar to like a dam in a river, stop the blood flow or really minimize the blood flow getting to a tissue. And then that tissue can have like pretty bad side effects. Depending on what the tissue is, it can be really, really life-threatening. If you can imagine like if it's your heart or something or your brain or whatever, then it's probably one it's super, super painful for any of your tissues to not have oxygen. It's really, really painful. You can imagine like when your foot falls asleep, that times like a billion is probably the pain that people are feeling. It's really difficult as a person who doesn't have sickle cell to like translate this pain because I don't know what it feels like. But one of the main symptoms of this kind of like vein blocking that happens with these misshapen cells is severe pain and organ damage. And both of those are from the lack of oxygen um, to these tissues. And when you have a vein that's blocked, there's actually a term for it. It's called 
vaso-occlusive events, which literally means vein blocking events. <laughs> Medical terminology did me well there. Yeah, this disease can be life-threatening because anytime that oxygen isn't getting to tissue for a long time, the cells in that tissue can start to die. And if it's been, you know, long enough and severe enough um, where it turns into a vaso-occlusive crisis, then that organ can have damage and from the tissue death. And that can have like longer lasting effects than just like a moment of severe pain. So <laughs> this disease, because it's genetic, is really difficult to treat. Problem is with sickle cell, it's your own blood cells, right? You can't just go in and get rid of, kill all of your red blood cells because you need red blood cells. Like I said, to deliver oxygen. So you can't really target them with traditional, these like pill therapies, okay? Because there's nothing that you can deliver to these guys to change the way that they're shaped and change their genetic makeup. So what they're doing now with Cascavy, and I'd like to say that maybe a little aside, Lifgenia was also approved. That's also a gene therapy to treat sickle cell, but it doesn't use the CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing system. So it's not like as big of a deal, I guess. We're focusing in on Cascavy because it's the first FDA approved treatment using CRISPR-Cas9. That doesn't mean it's the only treatment for a sickle cell. <laughs> um, it's just the one I'm most excited about. <laughs> Getting back to it. Cascavy, the way that it works is, like I said, it's a gene editing therapy. So it will take your stem cells or your bone that live in your bone marrow and replace the mutated section of your genome that's causing your blood cells to be misshapen, it'll replace it with the correct genes that will create non, so your hemoglobin won't have the mutation, and then it'll come out like normal, like a little round pillow shaped red blood cell. And the way that this happens is actually pretty intense. So a stem cell transplant is similar to a bone marrow transplant, if not exactly the same. And the way that this happens, a lot of the time it's depicted in movies and, and shows and stuff as being really in intense for the donor. But actually, the person who gets the treatment, the person who has sickle cell and needs this uh, stem cell collection and replacement is the person who needs the treatment will lie down They'll take all of the stem cells that are in their bone marrow at the time. So they, that's where they stick that giant needle in their spine. Take all their bone marrow slash stem cells and then uh, we'll collect it and apply the therapy to those stem cells that are outside of their body. But to make sure that the person who's getting this therapy doesn't still have mutated cells that will replicate in the future, the person will then go through a high dose chemo. So all of those cells, any cells that they have left that might have that mutation will die um, from this like really intense chemotherapy. And then once they're really like wiped out of all of these cells, you can imagine they're in a really vulnerable state, okay? Because chemo isn't super specific in what it kills. So along with your red blood cells, which will obviously be down, the count will be down, the white blood cells, the platelets, all of these things are also dying. So you're typically put in like a clean room to keep you really, really isolated from anything that could potentially get you sick. So during this time, communication with like family and stuff is like really limited or at least, you know, skin to skin contact is like not possible because you need to be super safe and keep this person from getting sick because um, they're just really vulnerable. 
while the stem cells that were just taken out of their back, those are being modified. So the CRISP by the CRISPR Cas9 Cascavy treatment. So the way that this treatment works and the way that it's the reason it's so exciting and the reason that the CRISPR Cas9 developers got a Nobel Prize is because it's a very targeted or it's at least the most targeted procedure that we have to edit the genome. So the way that CRISPR-Cas9 works is it's kind of two, well, yeah, it's two parts. So you have the primer, which will find the area in the genome that you want to edit. It will bind to whatever's next to the bad gene so that you can cut where you need to. And that's where the Cas9 comes in and is basically the scissors that will like cut. So this primer is, like I said, meant to bind to the area next to the mutated gene. And then attached to the primer will be the kind of replacement that you want to put in instead of the mutated gene after you've cut. It sounds really nice and everybody's probably thinking, okay, why didn't we do this before? It sounds really like ideal. And it seems like we could make a lot of these really easily. The backside, the <laughs> backside, the downside of this and most gene editing therapies is that if that primer isn't super, super, super specific, you can bind to the wrong area of your genome, cut something you didn't mean to cut and put in a replacement in a place that you didn't mean to put it. So then you can get the production of proteins that you didn't want. You can mess up stuff that was working before. And then you get what are called off-target effects because this is not what you meant to fix. This is not the target you were going for. You cut the wrong thing and you edited something you weren't supposed to. And a lot of these things, depending on what you're trying to fix, these off-target effects can be pretty minor or they can be really, really, really severe. As you can imagine, cutting something that you're not supposed to cut in the genome, which we don't even fully understand is just super, super dangerous. So they know where this mutation happens. They want to only edit where that mutation is and nothing else. This shouldn't affect anything but the production of the correct hemoglobin, okay? Because if it does anything else, that's that's wrong. And that's basically what the FDA was trying to see is how many off-target effects are there, if any, and then if there are any, how bad are they? Um, because that's really what was going to kind of make or break this approval process. Yeah, so apparently the off-target effects weren't that bad. The side effects of this drug seem to be pretty minor. It's um, stomatitis and some low low uh, cell counts. So stomatitis, stoma is like your mouth area. Itis meaning inflammation. So the, the side effect is like mouth sores. So on your lips, mouth, or throat, you might get some bumps or sores or something. And then some low blood count. So low platelet, red blood cell, white blood cells, all of those might be down due to the combo of the stem cell collection and the chemo. Um, but that's pretty much expected. And I want to just mention that, like I said, these, this isn't the only gene therapy that's been FDA approved. There have been others that use different kinds of methods to deliver gene modifications um, and there's currently 34, including Cascavy, there's currently 34 FDA-approved gene therapies on the market. But back to Cascavy. So the big, <laughs> the big thing that I think is kind of a bummer about this drug is, yes, it's really, it has the potential to save a lot of lives and take away a lot of pain. Okay, and that's great. It has opened the gates for a lot more CRISPR-Cas9 therapies. Rah, rah, ray. Good job, Vertex Therapeutics, the people who developed the drug. 
The only bad thing is <laughs> this drug is currently marketed in the U.S. at least to cost around $2.2 million. Okay. <laughs> so the treatment plan that I lined out, the stem cell collection, high-dose chemo, gene modification, and that gene modification is where Cascavy is used, and then stem cell transplant where they reinsert those kind of fixed blood cells. So all of this happens, but only that one part, the gene modification is where the Cascavy treatment is used. But once it's used and those quote unquote fixed um, red blood cells are put back into the patient, you shouldn't need to have the treatment again. You should be able to replicate those now healthy blood cells and have no more of these like kind of banana shaped guys. You should be pretty fixed. I think this price tag is potentially coming from one, that primer that I said has to be super, super, super specific um, in the CRISPR-Cas9 system. Those primers are extremely expensive on their own. And I know they're extremely expensive. I get it. I'm not necessarily critiquing the price, but I do think, I just wonder how much insurance is going to cover on this. In, in the United States, insurance is very expensive. It's very hard to get. And it doesn't always cover everything that's needed or necessary for any treatment for any illness. And so I'm really, really curious. This treatment that will potentially be able to help around 100,000 people in the United States, that's the number that currently are estimated to have sickle cell, how many of them will be able to actually get the treatment with this price tag. And a lot of the people who have sickle cell, because it is a genetic disease, it runs primarily in African-American populations and then a little bit in Hispanic communities. And so it's it's already in a socioeconomically disadvantaged group of people. And so to then stack on like a price tag of $2.2 million per treatment, I just kind of fear for how many people might not be able to get this treatment even though they need it. But hopefully insurance companies will cover most of it. I imagine it's in their favor too because a lot of the time people with sickle cell will have to be hospitalized at least once to to many times a year because of these kind of vaso-occlusive events that I was talking about before um, so that they don't get bad. They typically, like sometimes they do have to go into a hospital. And so I feel like that maybe charges insurance companies potentially more than the treatment would after a period of time. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully insurance companies in the United States will cover this treatment for most people with sickle cell and it'll be kind of a happy ever after story. Um, Cascavy is also approved in the, in the UK and I wonder there they have like everybody always gets mad at me when I say that Europe is socialist I don't know what they are I don't I don't know what the system is but they have what socialized healthcare, right I might be wrong don't get mad at me I'm not actually an expert in, this, in European healthcare systems but they have a much better like system of healthcare where it's a bit more universal than it is in the United States and it's a lot less expensive for that reason. So I'm hoping that at least in the UK as well, people there will be able to get it. Cause I, I also, I don't know the percentage of people in the United, in the United Kingdom or the number of people in the UK that have this disease, but worldwide it's seven, it's estimated to be 7.74 million people in 2021 
had this disease. So I don't even know what number it's at now. Right now, as I'm saying this, it's December 2023. So I have no idea what the actual number is worldwide. But hopefully, hopefully people can afford this very, very good treatment, potentially very little side of effects. I think we'll kind of see further down the line. Hopefully everybody will still be okay. And this treatment will be long lasting. And in the trial, actually, the clinical trial, 31 patients had about two years of follow-up. It takes a long time to make a drug, if you didn't know that. Long time, a lot of money. But um, about 31 patients were followed up for like at least two years, okay? And 29 out of those 31 patients didn't have one of these um, vein blocking crises for at least one year after treatment. So that's super, super good. 93.5%. That's really massive. I think that's, I mean, it's almost 100%. The amount of these kind of vasoocclusive crises that typically happens for someone with sickle cell, I believe is somewhere between one to three times a year, which doesn't sound like a ton, but given how painful they are, I'm sure that these patients are very, very happy to be rid of them. And I hope they continue to be rid of them. And while this was a very short episode, I didn't really want to get into the biology too, too much. And I hope that I got into it enough that everybody understands what it is and why it's a good thing. And we'll hopefully be excited by new CRISPR-Cas therapies that are approved in the future. And yeah, if there's any questions, hit me up, Instagram, Patreon. Um, And if you haven't already, both of these things are free. Go give us a follow on Instagram. It's at basically an expert and click the link in the description and go head over and subscribe to the Patreon. There's going to be bonus episodes there over the break and lots of fun planning decisions for the next season. I'm super, super excited. The planning has already started. The recording has already started. We're making graphics better next season. I'm super, super stoked. Thanks everyone for listening to this first season. It's been so, so fun making these and keeping up with my friends and learning tons along the way. And I hope that next season we get to even more fun, juicy things. I mean, I'm sure the next season will also be 10 episodes, but I'm thinking of doing them weekly instead of bi-weekly. So head on over to the Patreon. Let me know what y'all think about that. See if you like it. And if you are listening to this on a streaming platform, go ahead and give us a nice little high rating. Uh, even if you never listen again, it really helps me out. And <laughs> uh, maybe a little comment if you're feeling cheeky. And then I will see you guys in mid-January. Happy holidays if you celebrate anything in December. I guess all that's left is Christmas now because Hanukkah just ended. But <laughs> Or maybe Kwanzaa if you celebrate anything in December or January. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. And I will see you guys in about a month. <laughs> Bye.